This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of arts, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in traditional fine art, focusing on Francisco Goya's The Black Paintings. To hash it out, I am joined by guest Alexandra Parsons of Alexandra Parsons com. Miss Parsons, welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> as always, as always, we love, we love Miss Parsons' input analysis and, well, her impressions of her mom. We're big fans of those too. So yeah, we are coming together today to talk about Mr. Goya and the Black paintings. So Francisco Goya is considered one of the most important Spanish artists of the late 18th and early 19th century, considered the last of the old masters and the first of the moderns, whereas his black paintings are a very special part of his history, as they were never really meant for public consumption, as they hint at the inner psyche of Goya's mind and perhaps not only his spiraling into madness, but maybe a rival. Now, before we can discuss, of course, we need a little background. Francisco José de Goya y Lucentes was born on March 30th, 1746, in Toros, Oregon, Spain. And though he rose to the ranks of his professional career, even becoming a prime court painter, which is the highest rank in Spain, mind you, he, however, became very disillusioned by the political and societal developments in Spain at the time, becoming more and more hermetic, eventually living in complete solitude. And what is also known but not exactly clear, he acquired a severe and undiagnosed illness in 1793. We know that, uh, at least historians know that he acquired something, but they don't know exactly what that thing was. He was 47 at the time, and unfortunately, this illness left him deaf, which uh, 
equally greatly affected his work thereafter. His paintings becoming darker and darker and darker as the years went on, which leads us to the black paintings themselves. These were painted circa approximately 1819 to 1823, right before his death in 1828. They were they were applied on oil on the plaster of his walls. So mind you, these were paintings with oil put on directly on the walls of his home, which is, this is another testament to why this was probably not for the public eye, for exhibition, things of of that nature. And I will uh, put a pin in that because I'm going to touch on a little bit of an, an extra thesis, if you will, and uh, as we get into the discussion section. His home was called uh, the Quinta del Sordo, or the House of the Deaf Man, because he actually purchased it from a man that was also deaf. And him being deaf himself at the time, that's how the name of the house stood to this day as far as historians go. There are 14 pieces in the Black Paintings collection, though there are a possible 15th one, and we'll talk about that in the discussion section, as historians argue that one of them got misplaced and is now the 15th one, is very consistent with the other 14, and that's in New York, whereas the 14, of course, stayed in Spain. So, as I said, they were never meant for public display or exhibition, but 50 years after his death in 1874, they were taken down and transferred to canvas, which, in addition to the aging process of time, just general damage from this entire process, of course, a loss of paint and and the subsequent need for restoration, the pieces themselves were significantly altered for preservation. Now, today, if you want to see them, you can, and they are are on permanent display at the Museo del Prado in Madrid, Spain. Now, before we hatch it out, of course, we need a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the novel The Entropy Sessions, a tale of loss, love, and madness, and our past, present, and future relationships with technology. Find it on Amazon and as an audiobook through Audible. Your support helps us continue our journey. Now back to the show. Like our other shows that involve paintings or artists and shit like that, uh, we normally, you know, we'll start with style or things of that nature. Because there are 14 to technically 15 pieces, and we'll touch on all 15, uh, we're going to dive right into the pieces themselves and talk about, obviously, his color theory and the themes and all the shit, you know, that we normally build up to, but as we're working through the pieces themselves. So we're going to start, number one is Saturno de Verando a su hijo or Saturn devouring his son. Now, I wanted to start here because this is actually a little shout out to um, Nerd Writer on YouTube. Uh, he does excellent YouTube um, video essays. And this is, he did a whole piece on just this. And I remember seeing that and thinking, my God, it is quite nightmarish, grotesque grotesque and i you know i'm drawn to it in maybe a different way and this is probably where i'll tee you up um miss parsons to come in is i you know these pieces are not beautiful you know we uh me philip and and buck talked about uh hr giger and we talked about how the grotesque and the horrifying and the scary can be kind of beautiful in a weird way mm-hmm. whereas these pieces are not that at all they're alluring but in I got a way I would call forbidden, you know, where something that we weren't supposed to see and it gives it it gives it like a mystery and mystique to the inner working of of Goya's mind. And it creates this forbiddenness of like, what was he going through? Because could you imagine that? Could you imagine kind of going into a descent of madness 
and putting those things onto your walls to live with. I feel like of all the things I, I read and, and listened to, um, you know, biographies on them, they never talked about the, the psychology of living with your demons in your home. No, I agree. And that's something that I visualized a lot while looking at these paintings of him just kind of mumbling to himself and it being like a scene in one of those historical movies where he's like, I need to paint this on a wall, you know, like, <laughs> get out my demons. Like, and some people, some historians say like he needs to exercise he's like exercising his demons out onto the wall that he was battling with and then did you also like I think this one might have been in his dining room. I didn't. I didn't a deep dive into the like location of all these. I know that uh, that you know that that adds. That's a good point because that adds to the mystique and the the mystery and the lore and legacy of what these paintings have become because they were his home was supposed to be two levels and they were supposed to be on the walls of all these of the multiple levels where some historians are saying they they're like I don't even think that Goya made these paintings because at one time or at, at a time in his history, it was only, it was known that he only lived on a single level home and the mm -hmm. second edition wasn't added till later. So people think that some of these pieces were done by his son. So there's so, mm -hmm. there's so much mystery even there, but you know, just looking at something like Saturn devouring his son, it's just, it, it is haunting. It is. It's very haunting. I remember someone, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design and like we had to take, I think in order to get a BFA, you have to get at least like take nine art history classes. And this was like one of the first ones. Uh, and I remember being so disturbing and you want to look at it <laughs> yeah i th there's just um so this has actually been um saturn devouring his son has been um touched on throughout history a lot mm -hmm. of other painters have painted a piece similar to this even goya himself has one like it's like a sketch it's not a finished piece of uh a what looks like a saturn devouring his son i think the difference one the difference here is a lot of the depictions are showing like a little baby or an adolescent child whereas this one is clearly a full-grown man and, and that's even disputed too because of the shape of like the buttocks and stuff people sometimes think it's a woman so they don't know and so to me i always you know bring it back to what i tried to analyze what the artist was going through and usually when most people it's almost impossible to not put yourself in the art mm -hmm. i would imagine that saturn is devouring goya in this case oh i never thought of it like that Ooh, that's why we hash it out i never i just looked at it as very like oh it's classic roman god of saturn originally greek titan chronos in mythology and based on um you know zeus was the only one that escaped right so like um I just went into like my, cause I'm Greek like this. Oh yeah. That's classic Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to think that he is, he feels like he's being devoured by something that is greater than him. He's getting older. He's, you know, he's seen a lot of hardship. Um, he's seen a lot of war and he probably yeah. just feels like he's being eaten away because of his illness too. So that's actually a really great analogy. Yeah. He, uh, you know, when you actually just read a bio on him, you know, obviously we're focusing on the black, paintings today but when you read a bio on him it's crazy to see how kind of famous he was even in his time and how how high he got uh you know he rose the ranks 
but then how how much of a descent into his feelings on you know the inquisition at the time and the government at the time and his is almost extreme hatred for those things and i feel like we're seeing them in these pieces and that's a probably a good segue to the color theory itself because we're seeing a lot of the same style and 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 usage going on through the rest of them so this is a good essentially primer for the rest of the pieces as we go through them so we're seeing a lot of of course they're they're called black <laughs> for not only face only thematic reasons but also complete face value um color theory reasons so the scenes are very dark they are black right so most of the color in these pieces are black a little hints of gray brown this color that i had to look up it's like a it's like a golden like tannish taupe hue called ochre uh color and then you know he does use a little bit of white just to give um a light source to to the pieces almost always in the top left hand corner um and if there is any accents and this is a perfect example of that uh there's only very very few uses of reds and blues and greens and they're usually accents in this case it's the red blood of the person being devoured let's move on to el perro the dog so first thing when i look at the dog is there's such a sadness to it because um both me and miss parsons both have a dog i uh my dog is is miles and what's your dog's name boba fett <laughs> boba, fucking perfect uh, um i'm looking so, at him right now he's yeah. jumped he just jumped on my bed <laughs> okay all right hey boba fett um so what is dogs you know we've humans have always had a a close relationship with dogs and dogs at the heart of of how we see them is just happiness you know we love our dogs or dogs love us it's just pure unadulterated happiness but when you see the actual piece the dog it is bleak sadness because it's just the head of a dog like looking over something like it could be like a hill or a mountain or something you're just seeing him look over this this structure and he's looking at something and now this is where a lot of historians differ there's like a shadow that's created with uh, the dark browns and taupes and, and gold colors and that is that you can interpret that as there is a evil presence there a negative presence that the dog because if you zoom in on the dog he looks distraught he looks scared and things of, of that nature but historians will also say that this was just a byproduct of how you know the fucking aging process was and how things were changed when they were taken off the walls turned into canvas and restored i agree with you i also um watched this really cool short like little documentary of our historian who went around in um where this was showcased in madrid and she talked about a couple of the paintings yeah and they they said that the art conservator that had a little more creative input than they actually like what we wouldn't be able to do these days and there used to be two birds there mm. um and the, that maybe and that he just covered over it um and some say like is he sinking is he just behind a mass yeah um, that was the other argument that he is actually in something like a quicksand 
And this Which is, is void so again sad. that is like, you know, he's being not devoured by Saturn, but devoured by the earth, like essentially death. And it reminds me of like, it reminds me of Arteo. Is it Arteo and um, Never Ending Story where the horse is like, in, <laughs> like the most- I don't remember the name, but yeah, I do. Oh man, I, <laughs> I, I loved the Never Ending Story. We can go on a little tangent there. You know, what's yeah. crazy is uh, since I follow pop culture a lot for these shows, the, the rights just got lifted and now there's a bidding war from like, you know, Warner Brothers or Paramount, all these studios to buy the never ending story to, I'm assuming, remake it, which I, I don't know. I'd probably watch that. I'd watch it. I love the never ending story. With that, there's like a couple memes out there about them. The horse was dying and like how, where did, when did you think you needed to start therapy? And I was like, that scene. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I was so traumatized. Oh, oh that is, it, yeah. Was that so the it, first one? Like, and there was the quicksand, and yeah. I mean, they come back at the end, but that's what this—the dog. This kind of reminded me of, and um, Goya's. He does that classic, like it's the eyes and all of his paintings, and he does it with the dog too. You're just like, oh god, and the ears are pulled back, and it's just really heartbreaking. Yeah, he does this. Uh, what's called this, like uh, energetic, almost erratic kind of brushstroke style with these. Because if you look at his other paintings he can go into detail but remember this was purposeful this was by design to put the the paint on the canvas a certain way right and there are these 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 big long stroke like things and we'll see more um we'll see more of that when he actually is painting people because the people look ghoulish they look scary because it's not clear distinctions of eyes and a face and a mouth and things like that it's it's this kind of blurring effect with all of it and i think that's a a, let's go ahead and move on to one of those with piece number three on our list remember this was uh this was just this is arbitrary right so originally these name these pieces had no name no chronology and um his he had actually a friend of his a painter or a descendant or something like this some sort of association to goya uh, named these pieces and historians have probably given it an official chronology i i just put it into you know my own chronology so don't send me your hate mail send it to send it to alexandra mm-hmm. thanks <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move on to number three that is uh dos viejos are un viejos un uh, y un fra- friale that's often uh, just called two old men now this depicts a a man with a beard with a like a cane and the and in the main in the middle kind of the foreground and then another man whispering into his ear i you know what's crazy is i wish they did a little more interpreting when they were giving this names because that is not a man on the right that is clearly a demon or the devil or yeah it's it's, very demonic or biblical exactly very demonic or biblical it reminded me of one of those like new old testament stories of like one of those and this is like I grew up Catholic and I should know this, but I don't anymore. Um, yeah, one <laughs> what of the does demons- it say to you then? What it like if you were to interpret it? You know, if you if you didn't if you didn't even read about this, you know, beforehand and you had to. Well, you could do both, you know, your interpretation post the research. But I had like I had a first impression and then I had a second impression after I did a little research. What were yours? An old man being tempted to like maybe end his his life early or to like something in some type of demonic temptation. That is that was exactly to a T. My first impression was this was yeah, this was the devil tempting man like this, this 
this man could be like interpreted as all of mankind and that there's always been evil forces in nature that are tempting man, you know, with putting their even driving him mad. We're seeing stories like that all the time. But after I did my research, a lot of people and I almost can interpret this the same is that there was an evil force that made him deaf, that this was an, a, a distinct reference to his him becoming deaf with his illness Mm -hmm. and that's how he interpreted or that's how he it came out to be in the painting yeah it it also kind of reminds me of that like you sell your soul to the devil like so he had all this fame and success yeah and somehow he thinks that he's paying for it now uh uh, perhaps actually that i have didn't think about it that way yeah perhaps because yeah he you know he like we said before he rose to fame and then he had i think the illness was the beginning of the end and in his eyes you know Mm -hmm. It's funny. I mean, the human condition is so fascinating because a lot of people, it depends on the personality, the personality type as well, because someone that may already have psychosis, be it bipolarism or depression or whatever the thing is. Yeah. When something like that happens in their life, it can exacerbate that psychology, whereas maybe someone that doesn't or has other kinds of uh, mental health, uh, you know, progressive uh, type of uh, minds, they take something awful and turn it into something good. You know, there's plenty of of famous people that yeah they've lost a limb or they've gone deaf or lost their vision but it it actually pushed them to becoming better mm-hmm. uh, whereas this case it it is not the case at all <laughs> it pushed him to be to go to go further into his descent of madness which is classic for a lot of artists like they need to release their inner dialogue and the inner pain to be able to get it out it is a it is a i mean i've done that with my when i was grieving i had to like do a whole painting collection and it really Mm. was it's a form of like art therapy but they didn't have that verbiage then but this man literally was going probably insane in this big house just being like who knows what was happening in his psyche yeah the art that's a good way to put it the art that it's very therapeutic it's cathartic and it, it helps us when we put ourselves into the art and, and or channel those demons into art. Number four is uh, Hombres Laindo or Men Reading. Um, this one is, um, you know, I think at first glance, it's very tame compared to the other works. Uh, but I think there is some deeper social commentary here because a lot of people would argue that, again, we're, we're seeing a lot more people in this piece. So a lot more of that blurry kind of brushstroke style that he created created with his dark paintings and the men again look kind of ghoulish like we're seeing characters like on the far left that uh, because he's used so much of the actual black in the black paintings they don't have eyes you know and um they're so it's a it's a group of men hunched over reading a pamphlet historians consider this an interpretation of how essentially the hand of the government you know the all-powerful hand is always you know essentially changing the the rule book you know changing laws changing you know changing things that affect us at the bottom i agree yeah he had a lot of disdain for that right a lot of disdain for oh my god yes the current government at the time he hated with the fiery passion when i first looked at this painting i was like is that man enjoying himself too much in the background like what's happening there (laughs) he's like oh yes read that book uh women laughing (laughs) is is probably closer to that interpretation this is like a segue to that and i was like oh this was like his comfort with like more of the surrealist brushstrokes and the and the paintings that he did had a more this one had a more surrealist look to it yeah and 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 he touches i mean obviously with our first one on this um list we already touched on yeah the mythology 
mm-hmm. renditions, but he does that a lot. Uh, we haven't gotten to them yet. He does. He touches on a lot of these fantastical or mythological stories a lot. So that's a, that's a good uh, kind of uh, introduction to how we'll explore those a little later. So number five is uh, Judith E. Holagernes or Judith and Holofernes. Now, this is another story, a famous story. And his, I mean, as much as the subject matter is dark, so you have to know a little context here. So Judith uh, in this, in the story of these two is killing and beheading Holofernes. And Holofernes can be looked at as the head of the government. So that's, again, Goya being like, I fucking hate (laughs) this entity that is politics and government. And uh, these people, this very small, you know, class of people that are controlling a bigger uh, lower class of people and so we need to behead that that snake i've seen pieces like what's crazy is this is kind of tamed to other pieces i've seen where it's actually showing judith full cutting into the neck of of holofernes i you know with this one it's it's like it's like after the fact kind of thing and since he doesn't use a lot of reds or other color theory in this you you have to just you have to kind of know your history i think that's what historians already had to do they kind of looked at it and like okay this is obviously what he's depicting here no i agree i i love the um woman in the background who's praying no that's uh that's hall of fairness dead that is wait yeah that's supposed to be hall of fairness so judith is holding the sword she killed him uh and so yeah that's supposed to be hall of fairness so yeah that's like uh, oh i read it that they were praying i read somewhere that that he was that person is praying in the background and it looks to me more like they're on you know like when a police you know like you know, SVU like does like a like a chalk outline of someone. It looks like they're on the ground with their you know their head. I don't think obviously they're not completely decapitated. So in this rendition, it's probably just like the neck was slit kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it looks like they're down and their hand is is like right by them, so they're flat on the ground. Essentially, is how how I interpreted it. But it's open to interpretation. Oh I guess no, you that's see it the other no, way. that's cool. I've I've heard I read or I li- watched one of these like a bunch of stuff, and there was like the person's praying in the background, and you see the gold around the hands. Um, that could be one interpretation, but. Now it's like very interesting. I'm looking at a different perspective. The first thing I noticed about this painting is because they say how these probably none of these paintings were probably finished. This one looks very unfinished to me. He could have added more of the red, you know, because he did it for Saturn. Mm -hmm. So um, and yeah, a lot of these. Well, and a lot of these these pieces, like I said in the intro, were changed. Remember, this wasn't ever supposed to be put on canvas. So, of course, they were going to be damaged going from wall to canvas. And then they had to be, you know, other painters had to restore them, too. So there was things that were not only uh, taken away, probably with the um, the changing of the pieces, like literal location, they added to them. And we'll, we'll talk about that with a uh, uh, fight with cudgels here pretty soon. But before we get there, uh, yeah, Miss Parsons hinted at uh, one I think we'll have a lot of fun talking about, and that's number six. Mujerdenes Resinda, or Women Laughing. And in this piece, uh, we are seeing... Where to begin? We're seeing uh, a couple of old hags <laughs> laughing at what I assume would be Goya masturbating right in front of them. But there's people that uh, interpret it as they are also masturbating with him. I think I I would probably when I first looked at this first impression was, yes, he was. I, I think the ultimate societal, uh, not the ultimate, but a very, very important societal downside is the, the concept of being shunned or shamed or laughed at and mocked. 
And I think we've all, especially in modern times, we, we know that we know that more than ever, like people are bullied online, things like that. And, you know, you could fucking put one thing on Twitter and then you have like a mob of people saying, you know, just like shitting all over you. And so just, I mean, that, that concept of, uh, of group shame has been around forever. And I, that's, that's what I got out of this, that, um, this poor man is being laughed at for whatever he's doing. Yeah, no, I agree. And the, the lot, the void, the classic in the background, the lack of any content, except for these three figures and his hand on his crotch, um, yeah, I also read that too, that some are saying that they're both masturbating or one of them is masturbating. I'm thinking maybe they're prostitutes. Yes. That's, that's what that's, I was... That's often considered the the reality of what's going on as well. Uh, maybe he actually gets off on them laughing at him. Who like who could... Who knows? I would love... You know, it would be so cool to be able to be talk to him and be like, he's like, actually, you guys are all wrong. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, you know, um, you know, kind of going back to my sub-thesis of... You you know, these pieces are not beautiful or um, sexy in, in any kind of, uh, you know, thematic or, or categorical way. You know, they're often off-putting and um, uh, things of that nature. And the only the, the only reason I, I found I found myself drawn to them is the forbiddenness of peering into this man's mind when we probably weren't supposed to, honestly. And I could also see the complete opposite of him not having any explanation of saying like not not only saying, no, you guys are wrong. It's like, I don't know. I just made them. And it's you, the audience, that is interpreting them. With this painting, too, you, I mean, I, and even in his br- brush strokes, even his brush strokes, you can see like the madness in it. And I, I've always been an artist who would like look at paintings and be so captivated by just the brush strokes mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, that's the actual brush stroke that the painter made. Like, that's right. so cool. And you can see it in this. And then, like, the, the middle woman who, she's the scariest glaring glaring at him and it's i like, couldn't agree more like it's almost like i mean it's clearly a person but there's a there's a monstrousness to her there's a like she is a creature she's she's unhuman um this actually just popped into my head right now did you ever watch devil's advocate devil's advocate with uh keanu reeves yeah but there i think there was some goya paintings in that movie but the creatures when he would see their faces they're actually demons kind of looked they like would yeah painting. they would like shift Suddenly yeah, with like it was very really old, dated CGI. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and but so many, so many ghoulish stuff was I think inspired a lot of of Goya's these paintings and his sketches that he did. Oh yeah, there again, uh, we've used the word haunting a lot uh, throughout this piece, and that middle woman's face looking at him with that smile is haunting uh, through and through. Um, let's move on to number seven. Una Menola or La Leocadia. And then it's, or it's just often considered uh, in the West, Leocadia uh, or Leocadia or however you pronounce it. Now, this one definitely you need a little history lesson. So he, um, after his wife died, which probably added to his his misery and his kind of descent into depression and madness and, and all the things we've been talking about, he did take on, there, it's never been confirmed, but it's often uh, cited that he had a younger lover that was like his uh, assistant or, or handmaiden, things like that. And that's Leo uh, Kadia. And this is her here. But the thing is, is like, I think, again, at first, it's just a it's just a woman in a dress kind of like, you know, leaning against like a like a, you know, a piece of rock or a piece of the landscape. But upon closer inspection, again, we're in a he could have picked anything, but she's in a black dress. So when you think of 
a black dress, you think of a funeral. I also same, and I saw that it was like some people say it's a burial mound. So yeah. like, oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't think of it that um, way. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and just basically an anticipation for his death. Yeah, that's um, yeah. There's really not too much. Uh, analysis or stuff I wanted to talk about here. Uh, it's, it's a lot of the same with the color theory and the look of the piece. And it just looks, it looks worn and beaten and weathered. And uh, it's just sadness and carna man. I, but I love the blue. You guys love this show. Don't you listen to I right lo- now? But then you see the blue. There's, yeah, there's the hints there's... of traditional color in it. There's that contrast. Yeah. That I really like. like. So with the dog, it's all monochromatic browns, right? Even though it's really sad. I think it's probably yeah. one of the most beautiful paintings because it has like a lightness to it with the colors. And this one has similar, the monochromatic creams and yet she's wearing a black dress that she's grieving. But then you have this little ray of hope of blue in the background. So do you, you use the word beautiful. Do you, do you find beauty in these pieces? Yes. Yeah, I do. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I, I don't, I, I find, I, I find that there is an alluring element, like I mm-hmm. said, but not in the form of beauty, more probably in the form of, of honestly, sadness, melancholy and depression, where because that's a that's a human condition, too. We, you know, we can't appreciate the good without the bad. Mm-hmm. And I I think there's something so, uh, yeah, drawing from just um, it draws me in terms of it's it's it, it's sadness, you know, but that that can be, in a, I guess, a something that can be magnetic too in art mm-hmm. and, all you know, um, musically speaking, sometimes those are a thin line. And we could probably see that in a lot of other artistic values and mediums that uh, beauty and sadness are sometimes uh, two sides of the same coin. Do I find the topic beautiful? I mean, it's more so the thing I find beautiful is the applique of it and the color contrast. And Mm. as an artist, like how it was, how he portrayed his feelings and his psyche onto it is beautiful. Um, Not so much as the sub, not so much as like these ghoulish faces. Yeah, it's disturbing. It's not in your traditional sense beautiful. It's more so in the, as an artist, respecting like what another artist has created is beautiful. I see. Okay. Well put. Well put, Miss Parsons. I try. Uh, let's <laughs> and succeed. Let's move on to number eight. Duelo uh, a guerretazos. <laughs> I love this one. Sorry. Fight with cudgels. Well, I'll, I'll let you start because I yeah I have some things to say, but I don't want to I don't want to um, put you into a box. So oh no, I had the wrong one up. That's not the one I was laughing at. <laughs> oh shit! What were you laughing at? I was laughing at the one that looks like a selfie. <laughs> the heads in the landscape. Oh, that heads one. in a landscape. Yeah, that's the um, that's the the. Easter egg of his sorry of his that's, black painting. That's the, the one I was looking one. at. Yeah. Well, hold that thought. Put a pin in that. We're gonna go through the main fourteen, and then yes, we're gonna talk talk about heads in a landscape. Though I think uh, just to I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit of a hauntingness to that when they're just they're kind of staring at us. This, oh, it's the, creepy. The viewer. It's creepy. But let's talk about fight with cudgels first. Okay, I have it. Now, up. fight with cudgels uh, to me is I mean. Uh, uh, let's let's talk about the piece first. Mm-hmm. Just flat is um, at just face value. It's two men fighting, fighting with sticks uh, or clubs. And but I think um, given his history and given um, how he uh, you know looked at yeah 
the bourgeoisie, the the politics at the time. I think this is an interpretation of how the upper class makes the lower class fight and divides us so that they can uh, stay in power. And I think this, you know, I feel like this one really spoke to me because to this day, we fucking see that, you know, mm-hmm. like where our, um, you know, just to touch on modern times for a bit, you know, and like fucking social media culture and, you know, all that stuff, you know, the left and the right. It's more divisive now than ever. Right. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with who is controlling these things. And a lot of this kind of propaganda and 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 social and class warfare and it at the end of the day it is the same it's still true that when the top is ma- is dividing the bottom it's so they can stay in power better and longer so i guess we always give a psa on these shows or not always sometimes but like guys we got to get along you know let's mm-hmm. let's <laughs> let's get along let's fucking team up and then you know, maybe we can we can spread the wealth and the power wouldn't that be nice wish it was that easy it's too much <laughs> like in our that. human condition. There are is a lot of nuances, racism, and yeah, that's a that's a that's a topic for another show or uh-huh. a completely different fucking show. Yeah, no, this one when I look at it, I I could so much see his battle between his the classism, like not classism. Well, yes, classism, but his, the classical painter that he was, but yet he was like the bridge. Like he started to become into more modern painting. So you see that in the background with the white, like the colors and the foreground and the landscape. And then this really like interesting abstract of these two men fighting, which they said was probably during this about the, the Spanish Civil War. And um, I was reading how it's fight against like the liberals and the absolutists. That's, did I say that right? Absolutists? Uh, well, well, he was liberal. I think, you know, fighting against the, the conservatives and the people not mm-hmm. wanting to progress right and that's exactly what you said i somebody said something about the i was reading about the feet yeah the feet so this is an example of um painters um yeah it, it was in different it was in a different setting and they had to recreate or they had to essentially change it for the restoration so this how you see it okay. now is not how it was originally uh originally was on the walls they look like giants <laughs> just when you're looking at like they look like just giants on their knees fighting in this like landscape when you zoom out they're like yeah they're supposed to be in this like muddy you know thing up to their knees i think the original ones had their knees there you know and they were like in these like prairie land like high grasses and he has a lot of blood on him the guy to the left he's like all bloody it's just yeah it's a violent scene it's a violent scene absolutely but but powerful mm-hmm. uh that leads us to number nine dos vejillos uh comiendo sopa uh two old ones or two old men eating soup depending on uh the literature this is another this is uh much in the vein of uh two old men number three on our list uh, whereas I, it's, yeah, we have a main character, we'll call it in the main, as the main subject, a little, a little left and center. And then we have a demonic like entity on the right. And this one to me, I don't know. I actually am a little more scared of the person, you know, because they I mean, I, I assume they have no teeth. That's how the smile was painted. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's actually more feminine. I actually see this as like an old witch, like woman. Um, Yeah. It reminds me of the witch from Snow White. Oh, okay. Y- exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. That's exactly what it looks like. And it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I, there's not a lot to talk about here. It's a haunting, haunting piece of uh very of sinister yeah, yeah very sinister yeah the the 
the the entity on the right doesn't even look alive anymore. It, yeah, it looks like that's it has what I completely passed. You know? I thought it was just like he's like I just haven't decided to let go of my friend here. He's just been decaying <laughs> for days. Like whereas that. yeah, whereas the uh, two old men, there's action. You know, you can see it clearly. The demon whispering into the to the ear of the man. Whereas this one, it just it's there. It's just kind of there. And that um, leads us to uh, number 10, which is the first of the pilgrimage pieces. I'm going to really butcher the Spanish pronunciation, but this one is uh, pilgrimage to the Fountain of San Isidro or the Procession of the Holy Office or just the Holy Office. And uh, this one is showcasing a pilgrimage. He has, uh, this is one of two pieces that just showcase a group of people um, moving as a giant collective body of people on a pilgrimage, moving from one point a to point b and again it's um it's it's showing a lot of people with what because of the style these kind of ghoulish faces like unhuman humans and that's probably where the the steep uh, blackness of the black paintings are here i urge you to read about the history a little more and then you can you can see you can figure out the interpretations but these are where the it's a little more tame it's true and it's it's also another classic painting that you like learn about art school you're like the foreground and the contrast and depth perception and you know what that's uh i think that's a perfect segue to talk about technique so <laughs> less about the analysis and the subject matter and more of so yeah because we have a lot of movement we have a shows actually incredible depth because mm-hmm. we have this huge or not huge this group of people in the foreground and it does get very muddied but we see the figures of people in um the the uh, the background to create that movement and that longevity and it makes your eye really move around the piece especially with the contrast of uh his usual uses of blacks and grays and browns and okrays and things like that and then we have a little blue sky to separate this assume like a mountainous mass behind the pilgrimage of people and yeah i feel like this is a master class in in the fundamentals if you will of of painting i agree okay let's have fun with number 11 then which is sabbath so which is sabbath um or the great he goat is showing a sabbath of witches (laughs) because uh so yeah the devil is often depicted in art as a giant man-like goat creature. Mm-hmm. And this one is almost completely black. You only really see, since he's in the foreground, a little off to the left, He, uh, you see a silhouette of this um, creature talking to this group of people. And this is, again, where we're dealing with the religiosity, uh, the, the biblical horror, things of that nature. But I think I really feel like Goya's and the people and seeing the horror horror of the people's faces and things like that. This is this is very striking to me too. This one this one is very haunting. Did you see how big this one is? It's I didn't m- see the d- actual dimensions. Massive. It's just like the the width of it is absolutely stunning. I almost think this hmm. might be one of my favorite ones. Yeah, it's just because I maybe that cliche of loving anything that's sl- like with witches and oh really? Why well, yeah. don't think we knew that? I've always been really drawn to any type of like witchcraft or mythology in that arena and how they basically like demonize women mm. um to be these terrible things but these witches the they're this coven or whatever they're they're like more scared didn't he do another painting that he was did yeah he did a uh, a piece and it's literally called witch's sabbath too where it's it's much more colorful colorful it's almost kind of pretty it's it, now that that piece is almost uh close to being beautiful i just pulled it mm-hmm. up here it was and just... it's um this one you actually see you know the um the goat 
creature and this yeah coven of women that are kind of happy to be there where yeah it's uh the black paintings version is completely different yeah you should have fun you know anybody listening that really wants to get into this stuff like putting these side by side and seeing the stark difference it almost looks like another painter did it honestly you know so it's it's that striking and good and 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 fascinating i think from a historical context Mm -hmm. uh number 12 is um la romeria de san isidro again so this is the more traditional pilgrimage to san isidro uh where we're seeing a lot of the same this one is more haunting to me because we're seeing more of the people's faces um this the pilgrimage uh, or the group huddled group of people are on now on the left and we're seeing oh god the the faces are are horrifying they are like they're singing but yeah. are they like fearful? I'm gonna, it, yeah, it's just so expressive. The pilgrimage. So the th- I do know the theory on this one. The pilgrimage is not to a place, but to Goya. Like they're they're coming to. Uh, I don't think. I think there's interpretation to sing his praises, but um, it's more of a a pilgrimage to be a parade for his death. We we see that through and through with the the, the pieces here. Number uh, twelve is uh, Vision Fantistica. Fantistica Asmaria or just Fantistica fantastic vision as it's called in the west this one is yeah he's touching on the mythology and things like that more and now this i feel like this one isn't as haunting it's more yeah it's more surreal fantastical and this one i think is another master class in terms of fundamentals of art creation with seeing the depth and things like that a lot of a lot of people and i agree he painted in a way to make it look like these two people that are essentially flying floating are kind of in front of the piece like they're they're it's almost three-dimensional like they're floating towards you yeah and i also it, it just does look like and they and i've read about this too that it's actually Actually, Prometheus going to the the mountain. To is get- he going? See, yeah, this is what I couldn't find. I don't know if he's. I thought he was being pulled away uh, because the piece is also called uh, Osmodia, mm-hmm. and Osmodia is like a demon king. Na- so yeah. Either yeah, he's being too. like taken away from the king, or he's being dragged to the king. And given the themes of the of <laughs> the other pieces, I assume it's the latter. I th- I assume he's being pulled to his to his doom. Yeah, that's what, because like, I should know the, the Greek mythology of Prometheus by heart, but I know that he gets Well, it's so, oh my to... God. I, I took a Greek and Roman mythology uh, course in college too, and mm-hmm. I, I love that stuff growing up. What a world, incredible world building and all of these familial connections and things like that. But it mm-hmm. is so complicated it is, and hard yeah. to keep track of every tiny little thing, especially since there's different, um, there's a lot of different naming devices and nomenclature between the Greek and Roman. But yeah, that I, I'm going to go with that. It's Prometheus being dragged from the demon, one of the demon Kings to the top of the mountain where he gets his, what his like guts eaten out over and over again. Something mm, like that. Don't know, but that is, Ooh, I want to know now. Mm. I think that's the myth. <laughs> uh, so you should have a lot to say about number 14, Tropos or Las Barcas, uh, Tropos or the fates. What's crazy is I've been playing a video game called um, Returnal and the planet is called Atropos. And I've, I realized, okay, this is why it's called that is because the well atropos is is one of the fates 
but it's like the goddess of death, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, she's one of the fates. And uh, that's essentially how the game is designed. It's what's called what's called a roguelike. So every time you play through a level, it's artificially um, changed. So the map is changed every run through. So it's essentially like, you don't know, it's, it's called R&D in gaming where it's randomized and you don't know what you're going to get. So that's why you're, you're hoping that the fates are on your side or something like that. So it's very appropriately named. Um, but Atropos, yeah, uh, again, it's very thematically consistent that uh, the goddess of death is coming to, well, in this piece, it's her and her two sisters that are, I assume, coming after that man, uh, the far right part of the of the piece. The, this is, uh, again, a lot of uh, a lot of the same, a lot of consistent, as I said, with his other pieces, really great. And um, I, I feel like I had more fun learning about the history of it, like Atropos and her sisters and what the fates represent and what they are and, uh, and the mythology behind them. Do you remember the cartoon Hercules? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the sisters when they cut the thread? I don't. Is that them? That's them. That's yeah. them. That's the Fates. Okay. Yeah, it's the Fates. Um, actually, just watched that movie with the kids at an aftercare, oh, like perfect. after school. And I was like, oh, there's the Greek Fates where they cut the thread of life. And like the scissor in their hands, one of the sisters about mm-hmm. to cut the probably yeah goya's life yeah yeah okay cool well guys uh check out the the mythology there and then uh so that wraps up the uh traditional 14 that you can see in spain and again there is a uh, a hidden uh 15th painting or or so people think because j- just because it's so perfectly consistent with the how the other 14 pieces look and i agree after looking mm-hmm. at it it is probably the long lost painting of of this collection it's cabezas uh, cabezas en un paseja or heads in a landscape and um i think this one's actually pretty haunting uh because it uh, all of the heads in the landscape are in the bottom right hand corner and it's it's painted so they're staring directly at you. It's one of those, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those uh, optical illusions where, where it doesn't matter where you stand, they're going to be staring at you. Just like the the famous gun, like when a gun is pointed at you in a painting, it doesn't matter where you stand, you're going to be pointed. It's going to be directed right at you in terms of your optics and vision. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm scared just looking at it on my computer screen. I know, I'm looking at it right now and I'm like, oh God, this is yeah. so, so daunting. It's so interesting, the contrast with all these people in the corner. I laugh because I read somewhere, it's like the original self you know, like that's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, bring us on home, Miss Parsons. Uh, let's tie a bow on this B. Why study? As much as this uh, conversation, uh, Jesus Christ was a little bleak. I know. Thanks for guys. If you're still here, uh, thanks for uh, pulling through, bearing with us to get to the conclusion. Um, why study the black paintings, though? I believe it's like an entryway into the psyche between a man's own creative myth. You're also seeing into the fact that this was never meant to be seen. And a lot of people paint things to create things for it to be seen or to be sold. So this really is getting into his reflection into someone's mind. And he really was the precursor for, you know, surrealism and modernism. So he's very important because he's the link between the great classics. You worded that so well, the great classics to the future, like the modern, modern painting. So he's very very important to learn about and these especially these black paintings were a segue into those absolutely he's he's a bridge 
He is a bridge into what a lot of historians call uh, the bridge to expressionism, uh, that whole era of, uh, of painters and culture and things like that. And uh, before we get into our outros, um, a little um, a little post-Easter egg fun fact for you guys, just to end on more of a fun note. Um, so he is also the very first painter to paint a nude that was more sexually focused or explicit in nature. Instead of like a nude that was depicting a story or things like that, we've had nudes for probably since the dawn of time, since uh, people could create a painting, you know, on a wall or something like that with the stick figure, right? His piece, uh, Le, there's two versions of this too. There's La Meja Desnuda and La Meja Vestada, and it's showing a a, a lovely woman uh, on like a like a couch type of piece of furniture, but it's not, you know, it's it's it's. It's a nude to be uh, more uh, sexually explicit. It was uh, described as the very first totally profane life-size female nude in Western art of all time. Did not know that. That's so cool. Uh, guys, thank you for listening. I appreciate you hanging on with us on this one. Of course, I want to uh, thank my guest, Miss Parsons. But uh, before we go, of course, you know, we got a little extra for you, a little icing on top, a little cherry uh, for that Sunday with what we call the gym of the week. If you're new to the show and don't know what the gem of the week is, it's something we like to talk about here at the end of our shows to highlight, but it doesn't really fit into the scheme of the main topic, you know, because it may just be on our radar in the last day, last week, or maybe last month, but we want to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper. Now, uh, before we go into them, of course, we need to hear about their sponsor. Gems this week are sponsored by Zencaster. Zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record separate audio and video tracks. And it's all backed up on a secured cloud, so you never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's Z-E-N.ai slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with a pro account. Now back to the gems. Mine is um, I've already talked about one, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it short and sweet. So Returnal is uh, a game, uh, a video game that actually Ryan has talked about in the gems, and I just got finally got around to playing. It is a fucking challenge. It, it's not gonna hold your hand. It's rage quitting hard. You're gonna hate yourself sometimes for playing it, but once you get past things, you'll you'll really feel like you succeeded in something. Uh, and then what's crazy is m- my wife loves. Ink Master, which is the show um, about tattoo art. And um, they just renewed um, the show for a season 14. And in episode two, there was this, what was so fitting, this just happened. I, I think this is the, the most recent episode as the, as the time of this recording is they had a competition where a canvas, so the person got to pick what they wanted, you know, like I want X, Y, and Z on my shoulder or whatever, but they had to do it in the style of a famous artist from history. And Goya was one of them. And they actually showed a picture of, of Saturn devouring his son. And so uh, she had to, this poor tattoo artist had to tattoo what he wanted on his on his body, but in the style of Goya. And then they, they also, you know, someone had the style of Picasso with Cubism or the style of Dolly or something like that. So that was a really cool episode to see. And then last but not least is uh, Cult of, since we've been talking about 
fucking, you know, demonology and religiosity and all that, those kind of biblical things is uh, there's a <laughs> there's a game called Cult of the Lamb, which takes very cutesy art style. Uh, it's a video game that uses, yeah, really cutesy art style. And you play as a little cute little lamb that uh, died, went to, I assume, hell in this universe and was erected, resurrected by a demon. And you create your own cult. Um, (laughs) yeah, I want to play this game. You create your own cult and you build this cult to essentially, um, try to resurrect this demon that saved you from death. And, but what's crazy is, yeah, so it's really dark, witch like fucking pentagrams everywhere kind of subject matter, but the art style is really cute. Everything's like really sweet and cute and, and, and cuddly. You want to like take them out of the screen how and, interesting know, i want to play that looks yeah. so fun yeah it's absolutely fun uh miss parsons what do you got for us my little gem of the week is and i think it's absolutely um outstanding and i'm really happy and thrilled that it is on prime now it is um the power of the rings which is the new oh okay. of the rings i was um, ooh, i was on the fence sell it to me cinematography it is absolutely stunning it's beautiful yeah. and it is supposed to be the one most expensive shows ever like made. a billion dollars or something right yeah Just meanwhile <laughs> people are like starving um but oh, it yeah. is don't get me it, started <laughs> it's living <laughs> up to Christ. it and they're doing like show off pieces. Like there's a slow motion of her uh, like riding one of the Galadria's character is riding a horse's slow motion with her beautiful gown. And I'm like, okay, y'all are just like showing off now. <laughs> just really stunning, <laughs> visually beautiful. I'm sure it's going to win a lot of awards. Or so Emmys. is the, is the, um, so it looks beautiful, but is the show good? It is good. It takes a little, you know, I think we're all very attached to, um, the trilogy, Lord trilogy and who actually played Galadria, Galadria, um, actually played her, which was, um, mm. one of my favorite actresses, Kate Blanchett. Oh, Kate Blanchett. Okay. She played, you know, the, they called her the witch in the woods, you know, the hobbits mm. and stuff like that but she's the elder she's one of the original elves and if you um i've read some of the similarion and i'm probably butchering that name the similarion on that book from um our tolkien is that uh it's very red like a text like biblical it's just very boring to read so it is really nice to watch this and see it in like this um very theatrical way where like, I'm like oh yeah you see I don't want to give anything away but there's these things that he talks about in the book and then they're making it so beautiful so I think hmm. it's it's nice to see where these these came from it takes like a couple thousand like a thousand years before Lord um Lord of the Rings interesting it's like it's important it's like when the stories that they talked about in Lord of the Rings where Saruman fights they fight for middle earth and elves and man and everybody fight together and like that's it was when the rings were forged it's all about how they're forged so it's very fascinating i'm very excited to see where it goes all right guys check it out and if you like that of course you could check out some of our products at novodayproductions.com there you'll find things like the entropy sessions as already stated uh adulteration post meridium cancel culture lotto of course this show you'll see ads for this if you want to check out some of our other episodes and a lot more to come so uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and do all the things. You know, I was thinking about this today since we kind of make fun of this process. I, I, I think I make fun of it because, you know, you, you should already know what to fucking do by now. OK, I call it I call it Internet or social media etiquette. 
where it's like, okay, we're if, if we have a thing, uh, if you like it, subscribe. Yeah, would, I don't think we have to tell people anymore. I guess is why I make mm-hmm. fun of it every week, but I, of course, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and the other thing is the other etiquette is a spoilers. Like, don't click on the thing that has the title about the thing you're interested in before seeing the thing. You know, there's going to be spoilers. That's etiquette. Like, don't. It's why do we have to say spoilers anymore? Right. I'm like, what is the point of that? So that's my Good little point. fucking, yeah, my little soapbox. <laughs> so with that being said, don't forget to like and subscribe and <laughs> hit that notification bell and do all the things. Rate yes, review. please. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and if you'd like to sponsor our little love child here, you can reach out to reach out to us at uh, novadaymedia gmail.com if you want to get a hold of miss alexandra parsons tell the good people how to get a hold of you alexandra underscore parsons at um ig that's where you could find me my etsy account link is all on there just keep it easy and simple there you go yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> but until next time guys be good to each other and as always good luck and godspeed we love you art of the beholder is brought to you by novo day productions Created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company. Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.